sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. This podcast is made possible by the Social Voice Project. I'm Kevin Farkas, founder and executive producer. Stick around to the end of the podcast to learn more about the Social Voice Project, an innovative public interest media company specializing in podcasting, oral histories, and live event recording. You are listening to Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast explores the history and tales of ghost stories, mysterious crimes, murders, UFOs, witchcraft, and other occult happenings still thriving in the greater Ohio Valley region of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and beyond. I'm your host, Tony Lavorna, and with me today is Mr. Dan Hagman. Dan is the director of Borough, that's B-O-R-U, the Butler Organization for Research on the Unexplained. Dan, how are you today? I'm fine, and thank you for having me. Well, thanks for coming today, Dan. We appreciate this. Folks, when I was a young boy, the only time really that I was exposed much to aerial phenomenon other than irregular planes but I'm talking here more about something much more interesting, uh, UFOs or unidentified flying objects. When I was a boy, as I said, the only time I ever really experienced any of that was either in a movie or perhaps a, a program on television such as uh, In Search Of, hosted by the late uh, Leonard Nimoy. But today we're going to talk with Daniel Hagman, who is actually the director of Baru, and his experiences with the UFO phenomenon. Furthermore, this man has firsthand knowledge. So, Dan, let me ask you. Uh, first of all, let's give a little bit of history. Uh, I already said you're the director for the Butler Organization for the Research on the Unexplained. I believe you're retired now. You've worked part-time for the uh, Home Depot. But at one time, you worked for the Euclid County north of Butler as the chief of police. Right? That is correct, yes, sir. And how long did you work for those folks? I worked for them for approximately two years. What got you interested or, you know, started in this phenomenon and apparently the study? Was it a book or a sighting? What was it? Uh, actually, uh, there was an incident that uh, broke, uh, Betty and Barney Hill incident. Uh, it was published in a couple different magazine publications. And uh, I remember when the article broke and uh, I read the article and reread the article and just reread it, reread it. I still have the uh, actual magazine till this day. Uh, it just intrigued me for reasons which I can't explain. Uh, I'm still obsessed with it today. The story of Betty and Barney Hill began back in September of uh, 1961. It was over the uh, uh, state of New Hampshire. Uh, Barney had recently developed an ulcer, and he and his wife Betty decided to take a short vacation uh, to Canada. Uh, for a little bit of rest and relaxation, obviously. The couple had visited Niagara Falls and Montreal, and on the 19th of the month, I believe, uh, they began their journey back home to Portsmouth. Well, one night in the car, it was a clear night from what uh, the records show. It was a uh, shiny or a crescent moon, and they were traveling down the road um, on a wooded landscape area. And about a little after 10 o'clock, three miles south of the city of Lancaster, Barney noticed something that appeared in the sky like a bright star or planet, which seemed to move erratically. 
Now, Barney pointed this out to Betty, and they both began to kind of keep track of this object. Later on, Betty and Barney would be the victims of missing time with this event. I I believe it was, what, two hours? Uh, Two hours, that's correct. And because of that, they suffered, uh, I don't want to say a breakdown, but they were having nightmares. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, They were having reoccurrences, uh, brief memory relapses of uh, different bits and pieces of what had transpired. You know, Barney, uh, he remembers looking up at this this craft and uh, looking at it through a pair of field glasses or binoculars, and he could see a row of windows and clearly see beings that looked like they were pressed up against the windows. The beings were all approximately the same size, except one in the center stood out, which was much taller. He recalls it was almost like he was paralyzed. He couldn't pull the binoculars away from his eyes. You know, he uh, was overtaken by fear, eventually uh, started to uh, get movement back in his legs and ran back to the car screaming at Betty. And then, uh, you know, they woke up uh, realizing that uh, they had two hours of missing time. That's that's bizarre. When this happened to them, uh, Dan, in the report, um, what had happened to them after after this event took place to them? I mean, I I know they went to see a psychiatrist or, or something to that nature. Correct. Is that true? Uh, you know, they they started having you know memory recall. When they get home, Betty noticed that the dress that she had on was severely stained. It was ripped. She knew that that wasn't normal. Uh, the tops of Barney's shoes, uh, and he always. Uh, was immaculate, took care of his clothing, and the tops of his shoes were all scuffed, uh, deep scratches in them. Uh, There were three oval or round burn marks on the trunk of their car, which they knew was not normal. Uh, I believe they had their dog with them. Uh, After the incident took place, uh, the dog was actually underneath the front seat of the car, uh, so they had to work to get the dog out from underneath the car, uh, underneath the seat of the car. So, you know, whatever happened... Uh, even frightened the uh, the pet. They they went on to, um, as I said earlier, get uh, to perform a psychoregression uh, therapy uh, for our listeners. There, uh, the psychoregression therapy is to help someone try to go back in their mind, correct, uh, to come to grips with whatever it was they experience. Uh, now, Betty and Barney both had separate sessions. And there was some determination, I do recall, by the, the psychiatrist or psychologist. And they seemed to think that this was some type of incident that was very extremely stressful on these two individuals. But was there any conclusion on, on that, do you recall, Dan? There was uh, one part of the uh, abduction where uh, Betty was communicating with uh, one of the beings. Uh, they didn't communicate by verbal uh, it was all telepathic, and she wanted some type of uh, token or momentum that she could prove that, you know, this actually happened. And she uh, stated that she had picked up a book, and when she went to leave the ship, they would, would not allow her to take it with her. One of the beings showed her where they were from, and apparently they had a star chart on one of the walls or however they displayed it, and uh, under hypnosis, Betty drew this constellation or this star chart. Now, of course, back then we didn't have computers. Uh, Even our top uh, astronomers and scientists had no knowledge of this constellation. They thought, well, it was just something that was made up. Years later, after we uh, developed computers and and had supercomputers, they ran her drawing 
through this supercomputer, and it come back spot on. Uh, if they were to take a transparency of this uh, constellation or star chart that Betty drew out, they could overlay it with her drawing, and everything was spot on. So where did she get that knowledge from? That is intriguing. Well, I'm going to move on a little bit here. Um, I will say in closing, uh, Barney had passed away, I believe, in 1969 of a stroke because of this incident, and I believe Betty uh, lived to around 2004 before she that's, passed away. That's correct. Um, let's talk about your own experience, Dan. I'll set this up for you. I believe you said it was around the Oneida Valley Dam uh, uh, off of Route 38, and we're going to go back in time here to uh, 1963. Uh, actually, I think it was uh, a little before 1963. Back then, on Sundays, uh, families would get together and, you know, they'd spend the day with one another or the, the entire family. In my case, uh, we'd go to my grandparents. That was a thing that we would do on Sundays. Every Sunday, we'd get together, we'd go up, we'd spend the entire day, dinner. And uh, it was late in the evening, and we were on our way home. My, my grandparents lived up above North Washington, up off of Route 38. We were coming home, headed south on 38. It was my uncle, my mother, my aunt, my two sisters, and myself. Uh, we were actually uh, just north of the United Dam. And uh, my uncle had a, uh, it was a Fairlane Skyliner, 1959. Uh, half of the roof was, was glass. You could look up through it. Uh, my uncle was driving. I was sitting in the middle in the front. My mom was on the passenger side, my aunt and my two sisters in the back seat. And I remember my mother nudging me with her elbow, saying, why are you being so quiet? And I pointed and I said, well, I'm looking at the funny lights. And of course, at that point, my mom looked up and directly above the car were two yellowish orange, almost kind of looked like something on fire, uh, disc-shaped objects. Uh, they were approximately 10 to 12 inches apart. You could clearly see one was spinning to the left, the other one was spinning to the right, opposite directions of one another. We got uh, to the northern part of the dam and my uncle pulled the car over. And uh, my mom said, uh, oh, Jack, it's just the, uh, my uncle's name was Jack, uh, just a reflection from the dash lights. So he shut the dash lights off, turned the car off, and he exited the vehicle. And he stood there looking up. And these objects that had been pacing the car they stopped directly above us. So there was more than one object. Two, you're saying, or two, two objects individual of objects. Okay. Now I don't know if they were, if it was one or two objects connected together somehow. You could clearly see a space between them. But as we were sitting there, uh, my, I recall my mother saying, "Well, Jack, what do you think it is?" And this whole time they were getting bigger. My uncle said, uh, "I don't know. I don't think it's a plane." He got back in the car, started the car up. And as soon as we pulled out onto the road, they started pacing the car again, directly above us, and continuing to get bigger and bigger. We were headed south on 38, heading toward Butler. We got to about the breastwork of the dam, which probably isn't quite even a mile. He pulled the car over again. As soon as we stopped the car, the objects above us stopped. And again, the whole time they're getting bigger. At this point, they were the size of a, a dinner plate. More defined, uh, you could clearly see movement. And uh, he had shut the lights off, turned the ignition off, stepped out of the car. And at that point, fear came over my uncle. Uh, my mother, uh, she was upset. And I'm just sitting there awed by what I'm looking at. 
He jumped in the car, started it up, didn't even turn the headlights on, and he peeled out. Burning rubber, tires were squealing. I remember my, remember my mother telling him to turn the lights on. And of course, there's no traffic either direction. We were the only car on the road. At the uh, extreme northern part or extreme southern part of the dam where the breastwork is, uh, you go probably about 600 yards and there's a hairpin turn. And as soon as you go into that hairpin turn, there's heavy tree growth on both sides of the road. So you're actually looking up through the canopy. And every once in a while, you'd get a break and you could see these lights were right above the tops of the trees. I mean, they were illuminating the tops of the trees. That's how low they were. And he just floored it. And we went ahead and went home. Uh, my mother hurried up and got my sisters and I off to bed. And I can remember hearing my aunt, my uncle, and my mother they pretty much stayed up the rest of the night talking about what do you think it was and do you think we should call someone. About a day, two days later, I remember my mom making reference to uh, an article in the local paper. And lo and behold, it was northern Butler County residents startled by unidentified aerial object. So apparently there were other people that did witness it and you know somebody reported it to the local news. That is a remarkable story as I sit here, Dan. I now want to turn to something else that you had told me in passing once, that this incident wasn't the only incident that occurred to you with this type of phenomenon. How many in total would you say you've had? As far as what I, I can classify as unidentified flying object, I've had many over the years. Six that are very vivid, very vivid. Again, you go out, you see something in the sky, you know, you immediately assume it's a, a plane or a helicopter, and then you, you start looking and you realize there's no wing sections, there's no tail section. The, the flight characteristics just aren't normal. So unless our military has something, which I'm sure they do, that we don't know about, but uh, there are too many of them that just can't be explained. Well, I'm intrigued. Let me um, ask you, you had told me uh, that there was an, uh, an event that happened to you when you were, I think, living in, in Butler off of Locust Street. Correct. Uh, what, what, tell our listeners about that incident there. There had been a uh, really bad storm, and uh, the clouds in the sky were, you couldn't look up and, and see blue anywhere. It was just big, billowy, dark gray clouds. My mother occasionally would, would take a bubble bath. Uh, that's how she would vent stress or wind down, and, and uh, it was just after the storm, and she said, I'm going to take a bubble bath. You know, you find something to do. Please don't bother me. And I went out and I'm sitting on the porch and I'm looking up at the clouds and I'm just sitting there. And it's almost like as if somebody were to take a flash from a camera and flash it. And all at once you'd see pop, pop, pop. And you'd see these lights zigzag or streak through the clouds. You couldn't really see any type of plane or, or aircraft of any type. All you saw was just an oval shaped light, but there were multiple. I really didn't think much of it, and lo and behold, it happened again. And it was like pop, 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 and you just zigzag effect. And I kind of started to feel a little uneasy, and I went into where the bathroom is, and I knocked at the door, and my mom says, what would you, what do you want? And I said, well, I'm seeing some funny lights. Can you come and look at them and tell me what, the, what it might be? And she said, I'll be done in a little while. I'll come out then. And I went back out onto the porch, and it, it's almost like as if these big, spotlights that uh, a uh, business would have for a grand opening. And you'd see these things streak across the sky. Although with those, you can see the beam of light going upward. 
This was just an oval-shaped light that you'd see illuminating with inside the cloud. And this happened several more times. And, of course, by the time my mother came out, the event was over. I have no idea what it was. There was absolutely no sound associated with it. But it was just truly, truly bizarre. Now, another time, there was an incident um, that you recall at the North Boyer uh, Underground Mines in Butler. Sure. Tell our listeners about that incident, what had happened there at the mines. The uh, Boyer Underground Mines, which is now called Iron Mountain, we were traveling along that road, and uh, we were actually over near between Hilliards and Annandale. That road cuts all the way across, cuts over to to Route 8, and eventually over to Slippery Rock. But uh, we were fixated on this. it, It just looked like a kaleidoscope of colors in the sky in the shape of a triangle. And we were fixated on it, we were watching it, and we were headed toward the Boyer Underground Mines. You know, just watching this thing and just couldn't take our eyes off it. Well, what we didn't realize were there were three of them. And the three of them were spaced apart, but they were uh, in a perfect triangle shape. And each one of these was a perfect triangle shape. We get over near the uh, Boyer Underground Mines, and we realized, you know, hey, there's people standing there looking up at these things. And here it was the, the afternoon shift coming off. It was about 1130 in the evening. They're coming off of their shift, and, of course, they have to walk out to the parking lot to get to their cars. And uh, lo and behold, we noticed some of the security guards. And uh, the one individual, uh, he was actually coming out off of his shift, security guard. He watched them for a while, and he went back in and got the other security guards and said, hey, come on out here, take a look at this. So he watched them. He got in his car, and he headed over toward Route 8. And when he crossed the intersection of Route 8, Toward Slippery Rock, he pulled his car over again, and he tried to take pictures of them. And, of course, the uh, the pictures didn't turn out very well. We have very, very poor quality pictures that uh, you can tell. You can see some color. You can see the triangle shape. Uh, again, there was absolutely no sound associated with it. Watch these things, and it was almost like as if they just dematerialized one by one uh, before your eyes. Dan, does your family understand what you do as far as Burrow and all of this, or how does your family treat you regarding all this? At first, you know, the very people that you think you can talk to may not necessarily be your family. Uh, I remember, you know, I'd tell my mother, I'd tell my sister, I'd tell my dad, and of course my dad, oh yeah, you know, you're nuts, you're nuts. And uh, I've had a few incidents happen along with some absolutely bizarre dreams. I recall telling my mother, telling my sister, and, uh, You know, I found out that uh, they were on the verge of calling somebody for counseling because they thought I was actually going off the deep end. Uh, I mean, that's that's how obsessed I was with with some of the incidents that I had had happen. Uh, Recall one time, holidays, the family would get together, went to my uh, parents for Thanksgiving dinner, and we're sitting there. And I remember telling my mother about this incident that I had had. And, you know, she just kind of listened but really didn't voice her opinion. Sitting at the dining room table at Thanksgiving, and I recall saying something to my mom, and my mom said, oh, Diane, which was my oldest sister, uh, where's that newspaper article I gave you to hold for your brother, save for your brother? So she went, found it, and she brought it over. And, of course, my mom said, here, I'd like you to read this. And it was an article in the paper. It was an incident that happened over in Newcastle. Uh, There were two police officers that were getting off the the midnight shift. And, of course, they lived in the same community, so they commuted back and forth to work. And uh, apparently when they pulled up the one officer to let the other one off at his home, there was a, 
UFO hovering directly over his home. Uh, very well documented. There was absolutely no sound associated with it, uh, blinking lights. Eventually, it just moved off and, and uh, you know, out of sight. But the incident that I had had happen that led up to that, uh, we lived on Route 38. We rented a, a home. It was about a three-acre plot of ground. And I'm really not afraid of anything. And this particular night, I just very uncomfortable, very edgy, agitated. And the wife got my uh, children, our children, off the bed. I couldn't sleep. I remember sitting on the edge of the couch, and I'd get up and I'd pace the floor. And I found myself going and peeking out of all the windows. And uh, I lived up high off the, the main road. So cars going north or south, you wouldn't be able to see headlights. But it was like somebody was outside my home with spotlights sweeping around the home, like each one of the windows, you'd see the light go. I was afraid to go outside and see if there was someone outside my home, literally afraid. Wife went ahead and went to bed. I sat up on the edge of the couch almost till daybreak and uh, ended up eventually falling asleep. But uh, in this report that was associated with this uh, UFO sighting in Newcastle, people had reported the same sequence or incident that happened to them uh, where the lights seemed to sweep past the house. And the, the whole thing, there was just so much comparison with what I had happened to me that happened to a whole lot of other people, including these two police officers. That is just amazing to me. As I said, I've never experienced it directly, and to listen to some of your information here today is just, uh, it's mind-boggling, uh, to say the least. What was the turning point in your life? How has this directly affected you as a person? Totally changed my way of thinking. I know when I go out, if I happen to be taking a walk or I'm driving down the road, I find myself looking up uh, more than ever, uh, especially at nighttime if uh, my wife is driving. I don't even talk. I just sit and constantly scan the sky. Uh, you never forget. You know, I... I no, beyond a shadow of a doubt, things that I've seen are not of this world. Uh, I know that with all my heart. There's definitely, definitely more than just us. What do you say to people who claim that this is the government? What, what's your opinion on that? A percentage of it is. Uh, there is a, uh, a black space program. A lot of people aren't even aware of it. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Do you uh, know anything of Black Space Program, it's a, it's a program that's funded through the black budget. Uh, a lot of the money is not accounted for, but uh, they've taken, whether or not it's uh, reversed engineering, uh, our government ultimately has retrieved either whole or crashed UFOs, and uh, they're, they're trying to build something similar through reversed engineering, hence Area 51, Area uh, S2, those are top-secret military bases. Dulce, New Mexico, uh, the Dulce base, where supposedly our government, along with uh, governments of the world, have an underground base and are working hand-in-hand -hand with several different alien races. Uh, definitely something to it. That's quite a lot of information to take in. What do you feel, just in closing, I know recently as recent as 2012, 2014, sometimes you'll find on uh, electronic media, YouTube, what have you, programs or, or clips from individuals uh, who have said that they have either seen or witnessed 
uh, some aerial phenomenon right over Aliquippa, which is local to sure. this area. Have you heard of any of these reports? I mean, have they gone through Baru at all? They have. We get uh, a tremendous amount of calls per week, per month, per year. I don't dismiss any report that I get. Uh, I've had reports where 3 o'clock in the morning the phone's ringing, I get up and answer it. You know, you got to come, you got to come. This thing's hovering right over my house, you know. And I've gone. Uh, report wasn't that far from my home, so I, I got dressed and went to find that the guy's sitting on his porch, keg of beer, and he's looking at the moon. But it's it's something that, you know, I document. Uh, we've had other incidents where it's turned out to be life flight. We uh, have a way that we can find out, you know, when they've been up, where they've been, and correlate it with the, the information that we get from the sighting. Uh, even though we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were looking at the spotlight on the helicopter, uh, the people don't want to believe that it was life flight. No, it was a UFO, but in all actuality. Sure, the contradicting right? evidence. But, uh, you know, we get a tremendous amount of calls. Uh, we take the good with the bad, and uh, we run into quite a few that you just can't explain. How many cases would you say come in per year at, at the office, at the organization? Last year, I think it was like 2,800. 2,800 cases yes, of the unexplained. And that covers everything phenomenal. from uh, my house is haunted to uh, creature sightings. Uh, Shakura, PA, we've got uh, creature sightings going on up there. Uh, Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings. Uh, it's a wide range of reports. Have you found any information that would lead you to believe that perhaps one thing could be correlated to the other? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there are many, many cases where your Bigfoot sighting is uh, related to UFO sightings. We have reports where people will see a UFO sighting or see a UFO come in and come down and hover a few feet above the ground and flash a light and then there's a Bigfoot uh, or they'll see a Bigfoot and a craft come in and a thing beamed up into the craft. That doesn't mean that uh, Bigfoot is an alien. Uh, it could be one of the many species that are out there, but uh, you know there is definitely something to the Bigfoot. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Mr. Dan Hagman from Burrow, the Butler Organization for Research of the Unexplained. Uh, thank you very much, Dan, for joining us today. Uh, your stories were just incredible to say the least and i would like to invite you back perhaps someday in the future again thank you for having me and i would love to come back this is your host tony lavorna for tony lavorna's legends and lore we're part of the social voice project it's been a pleasure you heard it here folks keep looking up if you like what you've heard be sure to like rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Project. This is Kevin Farkas here again. You've just heard a podcast produced by The Social Voice Project. We specialize in podcasting and other creative media partnerships with community-oriented organizations and individuals. 
we are dedicated to promoting a wide range of nonprofits, community and cultural projects, public history initiatives, the performing arts, and tourism. To learn more about us, visit thesocialvoiceproject.org.